0: and uh... it's just been great to uh... <coughs> celebrate another week in berman and my family's been here now about five weeks and we are loving it uh... thank you for having us and uh... thank you for embracing uh... me and my family my lovely wife uh, sends her regards she uh... was just being a diligent woman cleaning our house and uh... she bent over in a corner and popped up really quick and hit the back of her head and has a mild concussion um, so uh... amen just pray for her she's recovering but it's going to be a little while from what the doctors are saying before she's feeling normal Uh, So uh, keep her in your prayers if you could. I appreciate that. Um, It's awesome to have the students coming back in. And uh, we're excited. Um, Amen. It is Freshers' Week uh, at the different universities in the city. And uh, since it's Freshers' Week... I thought we need to freshen it up a little bit, right? Uh, we're sharing our faith. And so we're going to be doing a survey uh, at the different universities uh, this week. Um, and we're doing a survey on our Bible talk. And we're going to be asking people, what if you were going to come out to a Bible discussion, what would you want to come out and, and be a part of? And so we're going to be doing that uh, at the universities uh, the next week. Uh, if you're in the community and you want to come share your faith on campus, we'd love to see you. Uh, at the University of Birmingham, we're meeting right off campus. Uh, we're going to actually be meeting... Um, on the corner of, uh, oh, you can't see it very well, uh, Pritchett's Road and um, Edgebaston Park Road. Uh, you can't really see, but that's the, the corner there between Pritchett's Road and Edgebaston uh, Park Road, right on the edge of, of UOB. Uh, I'll be there from 12 to 4 every day. I'm setting up a table. We're handing out um, some soft drinks, and we're just going gonna to do this survey. And so if you want to come share your faith on campus, exercise those spiritual muscles a little bit alongside the students, I want to invite the whole church to come join me, anybody who's free during the day from 12 to 4 all week. And if you're not sure what to do or when you can come, or you want to come another time, give me a call. We'd love to see the church out supporting uh, that fresh survey during Freshers Week. And uh, the students, are they're, they're rallying, they're getting together, they're getting excited about what God's going to do in our university ministries uh, this, uh, this school year. Amen. Last week we looked at uh, Keep Serving was the title of the sermon uh, from Philippians uh, chapter 2. We wrapped up that chapter. And uh, we were inspired to be children, brothers, co-workers, and soldiers for Christ. And how, you know, ultimately uh, we tend to focus on doing, but if we're focused more on being in Christ, we'll oftentimes be inspired to do what, what Christ has called us to do and to serve the church. And we're going to continue to work on that together. We're going to have a workshop on using all of our talents and our gifts and abilities to serve and build up the church. On the 7th of October, the first Friday congregational meeting uh, coming up in October. I hope to see everybody in the church there uh, as we continue to work on that together. Together as we keep serving uh, in Christ. Uh, the title of the lesson today, though, is Keep Pressing On. Keep Pressing On, which is what we're doing as we go on now to chapter 3. Two more chapters as we study out the book of Philippians. Uh, pr- keep pressing on chapter 3. We're going to pick it up here in verse 1. The Apostle Paul continues to write to this beloved church in Philippi. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, Philippians 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, he says. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, he says, have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. "...of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But," he says in verse 7, "...whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things." I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, he goes on to say. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, he concludes, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul has been out on the mission field now for over a decade. And he's now on house arrest in Rome. His neck is on the line. And he's not, he's not pulling back. He's not slowing down. He's not thinking about retirement. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm moving on toward the goal, which ultimately he, he, he of course, alludes to heaven toward the end of the section that we just read about. And we'll look a little bit more at that. Uh, this is kind of a two-part sermon here uh, today and the next time uh, that we study out this idea of being heavenward um, in our focus. Um, but we all get fatigued in life. It's true in our careers. It's true in our families, as CJ was sharing about that. You know, it's, you know, it, it, it's true as, as students. It's easy to, oh yeah, you know, I'm ready to get, you know, perfect marks, you know, in uni. It's easy, you know, in September to feel that way. But what about, you know, in March, at, at the end of a school year, right? You know, we, we, we all get fatigued and we have to have this idea of perseverance Uh, in life for anything to really get accomplished and spiritually it's no different spiritually paul had to have perseverance he had to press on and we do as well Uh, i just think of rock climbing inspired by scotty and other people in the church here who talk about it i've never done it like that but uh probably never will but uh you know last last year i was helping out before i moved from australia i was doing a a preteen camp in australia there and they had this big rock climbing wall and i was like man i've never really done that i I consider myself, you know, I'm sort of fit, I'm sort of athletic, maybe I can do that, you know, and so we signed up, meet a bunch of the kids to do it, and a couple of the dads, and, you know, I'm sizing up the competition, because I'm prideful, and I'm thinking, you know, I, well, I'd be the best, you know, because, like, these kids are, like, ten years old, so I should beat them, and then I'm looking at a couple of the dads, and I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I, I, don't, I think I can beat him, but I, I don't know about him, and, and so they had, it was kind of built like a competition, they had, like, the first wall, then if you can do the first wall, you do the second wall, and so it wasn't just my sinful nature coming out, but, uh so, you know, so the kids that could all do the first wall, I did that, you know, no problem. I thought, okay, I'm keeping up with the kids, that's good. The other dads did it too. And then and the second wall, about half the kids dropped out. I was feeling pretty good about myself, you know. I'm still doing good because I, I got the second wall. And then, you know, you the third wall and, and none of the, the, kids all go like halfway. They fall off, you know. They had ropes. They were safe. It wasn't, you know. I probably should have said that. Some of the mothers like, what were you doing with those children? never send my kid with you. No, they had ropes and safety and supervisors and all that, but so I was getting a little nervous watching the young guys, like, okay, you know, so, but I get up that wall, I'm like, yes, it was hard, but I made it to the top, Uh, and one of the dads, two of the dads, uh, one of the dads, you know, he, he didn't do very well, he got halfway up, fell off, so I was feeling really good about myself, but then the third dad comes up and and he's like Spider-Man. I mean, he just goes right scales up the wall. I thought, oh, man, I'm going down on the fourth wall. And sure enough, you know, I get halfway up the fourth wall. And my i never forget, my hands my hands just started shaking before I was even grabbing the pegs, you know, because I was just so thoroughly exhausted. I couldn't move anymore. And so I remember just kind of being stuck, you know, halfway up the wall. My hands were shaking. And then finally, I just had to let go. I just had to give in to reality, you know. Gravity was winning at that point. And then, of course, you know, the other guy's getting ready to go, and he's warming up, you know, and Mark just scales right up the wall. He goes up the fifth wall. He climbs all the walls. He goes up the sixth wall. He's like, he's like Spider-Man in human form, you know. And uh, Mark, Mark is a Tyler by trade, so he has these really strong hands and really strong forearms, and, uh, and he kept me humble that day, for sure. <laughs> but I think sometimes in our spiritual lives, you know, we, we can feel like, ah, oh, you know, I've got to keep moving, but we feel sometimes a bit stuck. And we feel sometimes a bit like unsure of what to do, and sometimes you 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 really have to let go at that point and let God come in and help you. And that's all I could do. Once I was stuck on that wall, or I would have stayed there for the rest of my life. I had to let go and let and let the people help me uh, to get back down and to, and and just to accept uh, the limits uh, of my physical strength at that point. Um, but our, 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 our fix. Our, our fixation on, on heaven, you know, we, we can never let go of. it. It is the prize. It is the goal. Uh, it is important. And, and, and sometimes we look to the latest fads, the latest methods, the latest people and places to press on, rather than really looking to God uh, to get that extra energy and that extra strength to make it to heaven. And Paul here, you know, he's struggling, he's straining, and he wants to call the church in Philippi, which is now about a decade old, uh, to press on as well. And so in this, in, in this uh, section here, we see kind of three big ideas here that Paul pulls out to help them and help himself, I believe, press on toward the goal, which ultimately is, is heaven. And so let's look at the first one here. The first one, he calls them to rejoice. He actually says, You press on toward heaven when you continue to rejoice. It's not something we would think about, right? Uh, when it comes to, you know, you know, pressing on in our faith. But that's exactly what Paul emphasizes here. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is, he says, a safeguard for you. Uh, he's already mentioned joy quite a bit. It's one of the major themes right of this letter. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, In all, in all my prayers, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, again in chapter one verse eighteen, uh, evidently some people were preaching, preaching with false motives to stir up trouble for Paul. But Paul says, "What does it matter?" In verse eighteen, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preaching. Because of this, I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. Chapter two, verses seventeen to eighteen, we just read not too long ago, right? Paul says, "Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering." On the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, even if I'm killed, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being glorified even in my death. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. If they haven't gotten it already, I will say it again, Rejoice. There's a reason for that repetition, I believe, by Paul. Because when life is tough, when life is hard, when we feel like we can't press on, we quickly start to lose the joy of our faith. We quickly start to lose the joy of our salvation. And it's interesting, Nehemiah helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and he had a lot of challenges in the rebuilding of the walls. And one of the things Nehemiah himself says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, God says actually to Nehemiah, he says, "...the joy of the Lord is your strength." And again, we don't often equate strength and pressing on to our joy, but our joy actually can help us do that in more ways than we understand. And here in Philippians 3, verse 3, uh, he makes this indirect reference to these dogs. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, We think it's an indirect reference to the Judaizers, which was a big movement uh, that started in, in Paul's day where Jewish Christians started to try to reintroduce the law. They said, yeah, you, you're not a, a Christian who's right with God unless you're, you're circumcised or unless you follow these certain you know, Jewish rituals under the Old Covenant. And so the interesting thing about Philippi is it was primarily a Gentile church. The first conversion, according to Acts 16, was Lydia. And it was done outside the city gates at a place of prayer, uh, which would have meant that there were less than ten Jewish men in the city of Philippi because you could have a synagogue where there were more than ten Jewish men. So it's likely that the the church in, in Philippi wasn't really infected by the teaching of the Judaizers yet. But Paul was afraid perhaps one day it would show up. And we know that the church in Philippi was being persecuted based on Paul's letter. And so friends like to have common enemies. And so maybe Paul's afraid that one day the Judaizers will show up and they'll join up with the persecution that the Gentiles were putting um, upon the church. And and so, so Paul is warning them. He's saying, don't let anything steal your joy." And so he uses this derogatory term toward the Judaizers to make sure uh, that that these joyless people who are bringing in the law rather than grace uh, would be stopped one day if they showed up as well. And we know other letters like Galatians, they did show up and they did wreak havoc uh, in the early church. And so the whole point here is whether life is good or bad, Paul says, you know, guard your joy. Safeguard it. It, It's very important. And he he doesn't say, you know... Because I, when I think of guarding things, I, you know, things that we're supposed to keep very protected in the church, I think of doctrine. You know, I think of standards. I think even of people's souls. But I don't often think of our joy. It's just not what pops in my head. But Paul is saying, no, you guard your joy. You guard your joy. Because what's interesting is joy is, really correlates with our understanding of the gospel. Joy really correlates with our understanding of Grace. When we really get what God has given us as Christians, we're always going to have joy. It's never going to go away. It's, it's never going to stop. Nothing in life can take it away. But we can choose to, to, to tweak the gospel. We can choose to, to add in human things. And that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were adding in human elements. They were tainting the gospel of grace by adding in the, the law to it. And that's what Paul is talking about. You know, That's what he's saying when he says, watch out for dogs. You know, it's quite interesting, um, that phrase, watch out for dogs, uh, literally in Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, you don't have to turn there, but it calls, it calls a male prostitute a dog. And so it was kind of a derogatory term that the Jews used towards someone who was considered really unholy. Uh, so that's a literal, uh, in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament use of that word. Uh, the same word here that Paul uses. Um, it's a literal word meaning dogs, but he's not talking about, you know, watch out for a pit bull outbreak. He's talking about uh, the other form, which is kind of the figurative term, dog. Um, Jesus used it with the Canaanite woman as well in the New Testament. Um, and so it was a slang term used toward Canaanites. Um, and so it, it, it's this its this indirect reference to then Judaizers, but today I think it's an indirect reference toward, toward any of us. We have these 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 dog-like tendencies, perhaps, even as Christians. I think, as Christians, we can sometimes, you know, we can sometimes have these dog-like tendencies. We can take the, the purity and the beauty of the gospel of God's grace, which, which, which really we cannot taint. Jesus' blood is pure. We cannot, we cannot mess it up. But we can take that, and we can start to kind of make it our own. And start to alter it and change it a bit in our teaching, and our view in the church. And the more we start to do that, we bring in tradition, and we bring in humanism, we bring in people and their teachings, the more we start to, to confuse the gospel of God's grace. And that's what Paul is warning against here. He's saying we've got to keep Jesus, the gospel, faith, grace, in, you know, in its pure form. Anything, you, anything that starts to get added to that, you're just, you're just like a dog. You're you you are being impure. You're 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 not you're not you're not approaching God the right way. Paul, uh, you know, uses very strong terms toward the Judaizers in Galatians one. He says there, and and this is unfortunately the, the the way it can go. He says, "I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ." and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, he says, to the churches in the region of Galatia. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And I I, I think I used to see legalism and, and... you know, personalities and, and things like that in the church. I used to, I used to, th- I used to think that that could somehow change the gospel. But but what I see is no, you can't change the gospel. If you if you want to go that way, you're not going to be accountable to the church. You're going to be accountable to God. These people who who are preaching another gospel, they're going to be they're going to be under God's curse. They're going to have to deal with God because you're not going to change change God's gospel. It's never it's it's never going to be tweaked. Um, and so I think about that, and, and as someone who speaks you know to people about God, I think well. How do I know if I'm doing that or not? Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be opposing God uh, in my teachings of the gospel. And I'm sure none of us here want to do that either. Well, I think one of the ways we can check is, are we joyful about our salvation? Are we joyful about the grace of God? When we take that communion every Sunday, are we excited about the gift of God's grace? Are we excited about the privilege of being God's sons and daughters? Whenever our faith becomes dreary, a burden, rather than excited and and we, 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 we are being those dogs, you know. And, and it can be, you know, it can be, you know, in the fellowship, you know, we become spiritual black holes, you know, spiritual cynics. The, the glass spiritually is always half empty rather than half full. It can even just be the way we see life. It can even just be the way we just talk about things. Yeah, I know the, the church is Christ's bride, but people this and people that. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I know we're saved, but what about this and what about that? Yeah, I, I, I know God is good all the time, but what about this and, and what about that over there? And we, and, we, and we quickly, even just with our mouths, start trying to take away the joy of the gospel. If you get faith, you get grace, you can always rejoice. How is your joy if you're a Christian today? Joy is a good way to measure how we are doing in safeguarding the gospel. If you get the gospel, you rejoice full stop. End of story. To press on, we must keep joy as a safeguard. Watch out for dogs. There's a little bit of dogs in all of us. We've got to watch out for that. Because in Christ, the glass is always spiritually half full. No matter how we may feel. And a second here, so rejoicing. The next thing is considering Rejoicing and considering. We have choices to make every day, don't we? Considering. You know, Paul first, um, he first reflects on who he was before Christ. You know, this is Paul B.C., right, before Christ, right? And uh, in verses 4 through 6, he shares about who he was. He has quite the the religious CV, doesn't he? The Apostle Paul. You know, his status, you know, before he became a Christian, he was circumcised on the eighth day from one of the most prestigious tribes, the tribe of Benjamin, which is a descendant of Saul, right? Uh, The first king. You know, he'd be like today, someone baptized in the early 80s. He's he's still serving the church and doing well, you know. He'd be like that kind of person in our fellowship today. Uh, Knows a lot of people. Has done a lot of great things for God. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I think of it like he was a man's man. That's kind of what that means spiritually. He was, he was a Tam of Scotland. You know, he's a, he's a Roy Carter of music. You know, he's just one of those guys. You know, just wow. What, what, you know, what, what an incredible guy, you know. And uh, he, he was seen that way in the Jewish circles. Of course, he was a Pharisee, which was the most influential, the most influential part of Judaism in his day. Uh, and of course, he, he became a Christian. He was no longer a Pharisee when he wrote this, but before he became a Christian. As far as his zeal, he said he persecuted the church. And perhaps he had the Judaizers in mind here. Uh, as far as his righteousness, according to his conscience, he says he was faultless. Wow. From, from what he could remember, he never, he never violated the law. It, it, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty noteworthy. But why does Paul say all that? Not to boast about who he was. He says, he says all that, he says, so that you don't put any confidence in the flesh. Right. That's exactly what he says uh, in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, put put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes so far as to say in verses 7 through 9, in verses 7 through 9, he says, whatever were my gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says, as a matter of fact, I don't just consider them loss. He goes one step further. I consider them Garbage. I consider them rubbish. The Greek word is literally street refuse or dung. I think the NIV translators didn't like that, so they put they put garbage, uh, you know, instead. But it's just it's just Paul, Paul says it's, it's it's not just it's not just loss. When I really think about it, it's it, it 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 doesn't mean anything anymore. It's something I would I would just walk around if I saw it now. And why why is Paul saying that? Well, he He's in a sense saying, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, so far surpasses all other things that their total sum is zero. That's how much more I have in Christ. It's a blow away statement. It's a challenging statement. We have to ask ourselves, do we see our old life, B.C., before Christ, do we see it that way? Do we see it that way? You know, what do we really value and why? And again, he's not saying that that these things are nothing in and of themselves. He's not saying that, but compared to Christ, it's a comparison. He's saying they're, they're nothing. As a matter of fact, they're, they're like refuse on the street. They will get me nowhere in the end. You know, do we get the gain, the value of, of just simply knowing Christ? Not, yeah, knowing Christ and, but just, just knowing Christ. You know, if you're visiting with us today, what is the most valuable thing in your life? What's the thing that matters to you most? And if you're anything like I was, um, growing up, you know, I often thought the things the world told me were most valuable were, were, were the most valuable things. You know, my education, you know, my, my, my family, you know, my, my, my career, my, my finances. And again, Paul's not saying those things aren't important, but he's, he's saying you've got to prioritize your life and make sure you have the most important thing on straight, which is which is the health of your soul, which can only come through knowing Christ. And so if you're with us visiting today, I hope you can really consider that question. Um, There's a story here as we wrap up the second point uh, that I read that I love of a a man who loved old books. Anybody here like old books? Like Look for old books. A few people. That's that's a cool habit. Cool hobby. Um, And it says that he met an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. His friend said, I couldn't read it. Somebody named Guten something had printed it. Not Gutenberg, the book lover exclaimed in horror. That Bible was one of the first books ever printed. The man goes on to say the book lover, Why, a copy just sold for over two million pounds. His friend was unimpressed. Mine wouldn't have even brought a pound, his friend said. Some fellow named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. (laughs) If you know a little bit about church history, you understand the significance of that. I think it's easy for me to be like the book lover's friend. To be fooled. To to not see the value of what I already have. The value of what I already have in just knowing Christ. I need to be reminded of that. I'm sure you need to be reminded of that. The world and its ways are always pressing in on us. Romans 12 says, you know, do not not be conforming along to the pattern of this world. And the Greek phrase there is, is, don't be pressed to its mold literally, the, you know, pressed to its mold, and it's always trying to, trying to press us into its mold, but, but what is the value of it in the end is what we always have to ask ourselves as Christians. We've got to consider. We've got to consider what we're putting our value and our stock in in life. And Paul says, I had it all. I had it all as a Jew, and in the end, it was rubbish. In the end, it mattered nothing because what I have now in Christ is worth so much more. To keep pressing on, we've got to continue to get the value of Christ To keep pressing on we have to consider what really matters in this life and what it's really all about. Rejoicing, considering, and finally here tonight, knowing. There's a phrase that goes, knowing the Bible is one thing, knowing the author is another. You know, do we want one thing or another? Because churches oftentimes tend toward the first kind of knowing there in that phrase. The facts, the truths about Jesus. And that is important. We must know the truth. To be set free, Jesus himself said that. But we tend to, a lot of times, stop there. And and really, the more you get to know Christ factually, the more you're opened up even more to the relational aspect of knowing Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here over and over in this text. And verse 8 is quite interesting. Here in verse 8, he says says, um, in verse 8, I consider everything a loss, in the second sentence, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And what's really interesting is this is the only time in all of Paul's writing that he refers to Jesus as his personal Lord. He always says Jesus is our Lord. But here he says, not Christ, not Jesus, not just Lord, but Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul personally speaks of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's a picture, a a very deep picture of Paul's intimacy and devotion to Christ. And so Paul, you know... Paul had a lot of impressive things that he had already done spiritually, and, and, and he says those, those, those things are nothing compared to just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that's the only time he refers to Jesus as his personal his personal Savior uh, in all of his writing. And what's really inspiring about this is, is you know, Paul Paul's that passionate that, that, that he talks about, you know, Jesus in that, in that personal sense. But what I love about Paul is it's already so convicting, but then he says he's not done, right, in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ, so he he wants to know him even more. And he says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You know, Paul says, I'm not done, though. I want to know more. I want to understand more. And he considers this situation a great opportunity as he suffers for Christ, to know Christ in an even greater way. And so, you know, we often think, you know, how can I know Christ more? A lot of us think, oh, well, if I just like went to a coffee shop tomorrow and lit a candle and, and, and open up, you know, the perfect passage in the Bible and, and wrote some stuff down in my notebook and, and then contemplated on it and then went and applied it that day, that that would help me know Jesus more. A lot of times we equate it, right, to our quiet times. And yes, that is true. Our quiet times uh, can help us to know Christ more, our, our Bible study and And prayer and things like that. But what's interesting here is Paul equates it to knowing the resurrection. He says you you can know Christ in a greater way the more you know the resurrection and the power. The power that the resurrection brings uh, into our lives. The resurrection is all over the New Testament. It's mentioned 300 times, uh, Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament. And many of the times it's mentioned really show its power. And the more we understand the resurrected Christ, the more we can know him and have this kind of intimate relationship that Paul had with him uh, that he alludes to here. Uh, You know, there's so many passages. We don't have time to go through them all. Um, You know, the the, the resurrection, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, if God just could give me a sign, then I would believe in him. If there was some evidence that God could give me, then perhaps I might believe in him. Well according to Matthew 12:38 to 40 Jesus says the sign is his resurrection his resurrection also, uh, you know, dispels doubt. Uh, you know, even as Christians, we can doubt uh, that God is real, and we can doubt that God is going to work in our lives. And, and we know, you know, uh, Jesus had Thomas touch, touch the, the wounds in his, in his resurrected body to overcome his doubt. Uh, the resurrection has power over doubt. Uh, the resurrection is also stated as the guarantee that, that Jesus' teachings are true in Acts 2. Uh, verses 22 to 24 in Peter's first sermon, he says, You can know this gospel that I'm preaching is true because of the resurrection. And so the resurrection is the apologetic of apologetics. It's the apologetic. It's the only thing we need to present to truly help people understand uh, the truth of the gospel. Uh, the resurrection unleashed the power of forgiveness. First Corinthians 15, 17 talks about how it connects us to the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, And further, the resurrection is the impetus for our evangelism. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission was given to us by the resurrected Christ. It was given to us by the resurrected Christ. The resurrection uh, is the inspiration, the vision, the direction we need to make disciples. Um, The resurrection has everyday practical power in our repentance. Romans 6, you know, it reminds us to die to sin every day. Uh, It also, in in Romans 7, verse 4, uh, allows us to continue to bear fruit for God, which is the other side of repentance. It's not just dying to sin. It's living for righteousness and bearing fruit, uh, being fruitful there, Romans 7, uh, verse 14. Uh, and, then, and then we could go on and on. The, the resurrection continues. That's what it's already done in our lives. That's what we have right now. And that's a bit of what Paul's alluding to here, I believe, as he talks about the resurrection, and it helps them to know Christ. But it, it continues to go. Uh, according to John eleven twenty five, uh, it helps us overcome our fear of death. Uh, According to Acts 1, verse 11, it points us to the second coming of Jesus. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 14, uh, it's a model for the Christian's resurrection from the dead. And we'll read this uh, and study it more next week, uh, or in a few weeks, uh, Philippians 3, 20 to 21. It's a foretaste of heaven for the believer. You can know Christ the more you know the resurrection power uh, that he he lives out and that he displays. And and the other thing, it's not just based on our understanding of the resurrection. The other thing is it's our participation, it says in verse 10, in his sufferings. Because Jesus could not resurrect until he died. And oftentimes our intimacy with Christ cannot go further until we die so that we can spiritually be resurrected. Uh, You know, the more we suffer for Him, the more we are able to be like Him and near Him, and then the more we are raised with Him and walk with Him uh, in newness of life. Um, I was able to visit uh, our brother, uh, Tony Rowe. Uh, with David Brewster uh, on Saturday, a lot of you probably know Tony uh, Tony was uh, severely severely paralyzed when he was uh, nineteen years old in a terrible um, uh, a ter- terrible uh, tragedy and uh, it, Tony has, has, has suffered over thirty years physically from this from this uh, thing that happened to him uh, a long long time ago he 's now in his 50s this happened when he was nineteen um, and he, uh, he, he, he was able to come for a while to church physically and but his f- physical uh, Problems have gotten much worse, and it's much more difficult for him now to even make it just a service. And, uh, and so I heard about this when I moved in and, and was able to meet up with David and him. And we had a great time together yesterday and took communion together. And uh, But man, Tony, Tony taught me a lot about this passage because the guy has such joy. He has such peace in his heart. He wants to be at church so bad. I mean, you could just, he must have said it to me 20 times. I really want to get back out to church. I really miss the church. So if you can visit Tony, please set that up. Please talk to David. Please talk to Keith. Please talk to me. If you can make a home visit to Tony, he'd be very encouraged um, by your visit. Um, But but Tony and others here, Paul and others, who, who maybe have some physical challenges, but they're spiritually strong. There's just something about them. When I see Tony, when I see uh, uh, Paul, there's something about them. They, they get something I don't get. They understand, the, understand something that I don't understand, but I need to. I need to. And it's this idea of, of, of if we suffer for Christ, we learn how to be you know, closer to his resurrection power. The more we connect those two things, the more we understand fully and know Christ even more. And it's a challenging concept. It's a challenging concept. But the more we can, we can learn as we suffer, the more we can be resurrected just like Christ in our spiritual lives. And the more we can know Christ in a more deeper and intimate way. And So let's not run from the suffering. Let's learn from the suffering. You know, let, Let's not stop there. God is not wanting us to be spiritual masochists. He wants to allow the suffering to, to help us to get closer to God, uh, to help us to know Christ more and more and more. You know, Paul, he's just a passionate God. He says all this, and he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul's already so far along spiritually, I don't think I could ever get there. And maybe, maybe, maybe you feel challenged by Paul too, but Paul says, But I'm not done. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing on. What an inspiration uh, he was and is then, uh, and, you know, and what an inspiration he can be for us today uh, as we study out this great letter and consider uh, the things he's calling them and us to. Despite where he already is, he wants to rejoice more. He wants to understand the value of Christ even more, and, and, and he wants to put his, his previous life back behind him more and more. He wants to know Christ even more, despite knowing him so well already. And so he continues to press on. And I think that's the secret here. Pressing on, it's not about perfection. Our righteousness is imputed to us. In verse in verse, uh, seven, verse seven, he says, it's not I'm sorry, in verse nine, he says, "It's not a, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law." But it's that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Our our perfection is imputed to us. We're made righteous by the blood of Christ. There's nothing we can do to be made more righteous. Christ did it for us on the cross. Our goal is just to persevere in it. Our goal is to hang on to it. Uh, And so let us keep pressing on, you know, more and more joy. Let's have more and more joy in the church, amen? And when when we see one another acting like those spiritual dogs, let's call it out. Brother, sister, a little bit of dog coming out there. Come on, put the dogs at bay. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. That's a good discipling time right there, isn't it, for all of us? Because we all get that way sometimes. You know, let's have more and more considering. Let's not be fooled by the world. Let's not lose the incredible value that we have in Christ. And let's continue to strive to know Him more and more and more to redeem our suffering, our trials, our ups and downs uh, so that we can be spiritually resurrected more and more just like Paul and just like the early church in Philippi was called to. Uh, And as we do that, uh, God's power will continue to reside in us and we will continue to to push on and press on toward the goal uh, which is being with God in heaven in Christ Jesus. Let's continue to be these people. Uh, who continue to rejoice, consider, and know Christ. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.